Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Cover. I am one of your co-hosts, John Robb, joined here by my now thawing out from the snowstorm in Seattle co-host, Jeff Ayers. Jeff, how you doing? I'm doing better now that that snow's gone. <laughs> really? I mean, Jesus, you guys are getting crust up there. Um, yes. We have a, uh, want to remind everybody here that all the shows, of course, are brought to you by Kensington Books, so please make sure you visit kensingtonbooks.com for more information on their authors and their stories that they have going on. We have a very special show for you tonight. Uh, Jeff and I last week interviewed best-selling author Steve Barry. We haven't had him on in a couple years, so it was good to talk about uh, his latest book, The Malta Exchange, which comes out March the 5th. So you're hearing the show now. Uh, you can go pre-order the book in paperback or Kindle, audio, however you want to listen to it, and you'll get it March the 5th. Um, so, And then after the interview's done... That'll be, the, that'll be the end of this show. So we're going to do a little front load real fast before we get into the interview. So, Jeff, you've read the Malta Exchange. I've not had a chance to get into it yet. I'm reading Jeffrey Deaver's book and um, reading an, uh, another one. So I haven't had a chance to dive into Steve's, but he is on my list. So give everybody um, a little review of the Malta Exchange and maybe those who don't know Cotton Malone, maybe just like a quick run over. Well, okay. Um, well, first of all, I want to say I have the Jeffrey Deaver in front of me. I'm looking forward to reading it, so you'll have to let me know what you think of that. But uh, so uh, Steve Barry's latest book is called The Baltics Change, as you mentioned, and Cotton Malone is his hero. Cotton is a former uh, spy, per se, who now runs a bookstore, and now he actually sort of takes assignments for money. And <laughs> He's asked to help out with uh, what seems to be a straight exchange involving uh, letters that were written between Winston Churchill and Mussolini. Oh, yeah. Of course, things don't go as planned because what thriller does it? (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Um, And then uh, over the course of things, uh, you get to run around Malta. You get to see a lot of Italy as well. And it's a great travelogue. It's a great history. And uh, Cotton Malone shoots at people. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. If you're a fan of Steve Barry, this is definitely going to be up your alley. It's definitely one of his better ones. And, um, and we find out, of course, from the interview and then, of course, you know, from reading him, that this is the first time now Cotton has been outside the United States in the last five books. Um, his last five books have been Cotton in the United States. So now Steve is kind of going back to what we've talked about, like his roots where he first started out with, like, the Amber Room and the, Andrea, uh, the uh, Alexandria Link, um, the Venetian Betrayal. So he's now taking Cotton back. So fans that might have maybe, you know, kind of got a little tired of the United States and wanted to maybe see Cotton go out, this is the perfect book to kind of pick up because now you're going to see him out of the country again. That's absolutely correct. Yeah. Yep. And uh, it's it's fun also because – it ties into some of his earlier books as well, including like the Templar legacy and things like that, because he's dealing with some of those issues also. 
So it's, and it's kind of nice and, having him go back. And if anybody, and if anybody didn't notice, if, if you just start reading and looking at Steve Barry's books, this was very interesting. He talks about this uh, in the interview because Jeff asked him the question, why are all of your books three-word titles? And it's always the something something. Well, Steve explains that in great detail, that the title he, he agonizes over for quite some time to make sure that he gets the title right and why he does it and what it means, because the title does mean something. Um, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, so you yeah can, the that, interview was fascinating. He goes mm-hmm. into detail also about just he does the jacket copy, he does the cover design. He is much more invested in all the little aspects that most authors do not deal with. Right, yeah, right. Most authors, you know, they don't get cover design. It's like, well, here's your cover, and they're like, oh, really? And they're like, yeah, that's that's your cover. And someone else is right in the back of the book. Someone else is kind of doing, you know, the other stuff. Um, But Steve kind of does it all. So that's kind of cool that he's able to have that kind of control. I'm sure it's in a contract somewhere that he's written it like, no, I want control over this, this, and this. I mean, and you know, and hey, when you, you know, when you're a New York Times best-selling author and you've sold as many books as he does, you have a little cachet. You can do that. I would say not everyone has that luxury, and uh, it's it's good that he no. does. But he, and I'd he say 99% of the people do not have their luxury. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, but he takes advantage of it and does well with it. So, right, because um, I can think of some authors who would be terrible at it. And make sure you visit steveberry.org, O-R-G. Um, that's his main website. And it's one of the best author websites out there. Like we tell, I tell my authors uh, at Suspense Publishing, and I'll sit there and say, hey, uh, we just signed somebody, Reed Bunzel, and his book is going to be coming out 7.30 Thursday. Look for that later in the fall. It's a great read if you're fans of Grisham, especially The Chamber, that kind of story. It's a great read, Ooh. so it's, it's kind of in that vein. With not all the legal stuff, not a lot of legal stuff, but enough legal, just not as Grisham legal, but it's that vein of the chamber, uh, that kind of premise, that kind of storyline. So it's really cool. Um, but his website, I looked at it, and I said, hey, I, I see how your design is. You should go look at Steve Barry's website and check it out because he does a really good job with it. And so um, – he was going to do that, but it's really informative. Everything you want to know about him is on his website. I mean, all of social media, everything that he does, it's all on there, so it's really good and updated. So you want to check steveberry.org. Yep, no, you're absolutely right. It is a good website. So anything else to that talk reminds about? reminds me you were going to send just... me another book. <laughs> Which one? You were going to send me a book, and I don't remember who it was, but uh, I'll bug you off air. Oh shoot! I was gonna. That's right. I was. I forgot to send you the book, didn't I? And you're gonna read that for me. Yeah, so sure. yeah, I gotta send it to you. Yeah. <laughs> and then I got another one I'm gonna send over to you too. So, um, okay. So, okay. anything else got going on? Or I know the next time that we'll be on will be in a couple weeks, and I think that's the week that Captain Marvel comes out. I just, you know, if you want to geek out, I think that's the week because Captain Marvel comes out on what the eighth, right? Oh uh, yeah, and I have my tickets already. Yeah, and I think the next time we'll be on will be – well, let me check the calendar here. I mean, I right, guess right I should before, right? that uh, Yeah, it's going to be March the 5th, so that will be the week of Captain Marvel, so that will be cool. Start knowing what's going to go on with there. Give us a little tie into Avengers if people watch that stuff. This is supposed to be the movie to kind of figure out how things are going to get wrapped up in 
Avengers Endgame, which is the one right after Infinity Wars, if people watch that one, which was a really good movie. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I, I hope the yeah. payoff is great. And did you already see the – and i just got to bring this up, too, real quick. Did you already see the freaking conspiracy theories that are out? Because J.J. Abrams tweeted out a picture of their last – they finally done filming the next Star Wars movie, which will be out later this year. And it's all wrapped up now, and so he tweeted out a picture of the three of them, and, blah, blah, and people are like, oh, it's a desert scene, so it must be on Jakku or Tatooine is where, there's, you know, where this is going to be set. And it's like, people, <laughs> come on, just stop trying to guess, because you're always wrong. I mean, <laughs> yeah. out of all the websites I, I, and the people that I saw about, like, for The Last Jedi, you were all so wrong. Yeah, I, I like the photos, but I don't theorize. I just wait and see what. Exactly. Exactly. That's stupid. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, speaking of uh, movies, they announced today that they're going to do the banana splits. If you remember that from our childhood, the banana splits. Yeah, they're going. You know, the the four dog. Uh, well, one's a monkey and one's an elephant. Oh, and, that's uh, right. What? What? A live action one? They're going to do it as a horror film. Oh. Well, I guess looking back, it kind of <laughs> was creepy, wasn't it? Yeah, but um, my childhood is now ruined. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, well, you know, now, now that shit really is in the closet, so you better check under the bed. <laughs> right. You know, uh, you know where the sidewalk ends uh, is going to be another one, because then all the people who think the earth is flat, they'll say, see, that's where it is. It's where the sidewalk is. That's where the earth stops. Yeah, even though no one's ever been there. And hey, let's look at the moon tonight and see what it looks like. It looks like a big round ball, doesn't it? And it's the biggest it's ever going to see the moon in a while, so it's a super moon tonight. So make sure you go out there and see that if you can. Oh, I'll definitely go do that if it's not too cloudy. We'll see. Cool. All right, so you ready to hit it? We'll just hit the Steve Barry interview um, and do it up. Everyone will enjoy it, I guarantee Yep. Yes, here we go. So remember, everybody, um, we will see you all again on March 5th when the interview's done. We will say good night and keep reading. But first, Steve Barry. So hello, everybody, and we are so pleased to be joined, Jeff and I here, with best-selling author Steve Barry to talk about his latest book, The Malta Exchange, which comes out March the 5th. So, Steve, how you doing? Doing great. Thank you. Awesome. Great to have you. So... Con Malone, book 14, and the one thing that I noticed when I first saw, of course, was the title, and I'm like, Malta Exchange, I'm like, oh, this started me thinking about, like, Venetian Betrayal, Amber Room, Romanoff, so tell us a little bit about what you're going on, and then, it's, and then you kind of went back a little, you know, into the roots um, with this book. That was the whole idea. Cotton's been in America for the last five books, it's been pretty much American stories, and I, and I knew he was going back overseas at some point, and this is his, this he's headed back here. And this is a book that kind of harkens back to the Templar legacy. It has that Templar legacy feel. It has a, a religious angle to it, something fresh, something that no one's ever really done with religion before. Uh, it, it involves a conclave. Uh, a cardinal has left Rome right before a conclave's about to start. He's off in search of a document from the 4th century, and... Cotton is after it. The, the one thing this book is not, though, this is not a book about a secret that will destroy the Catholic Church. In fact, it's just the opposite of that. 
no character in this novel wants to destroy anything. In fact, they want everything to stay quite strong and quite viable. So it's a little different in that regard, but it has that that uh, that action, history, secrets, conspiracies, and it's all overseas in Italy and Malta. Well, I love the fact that Cotton keeps taking these easy assignments, and they're never easy. That's the fact, yeah, he's <laughs> He's probably got more concussions now than an entire NFL team. But I think kind of uh, everything. Well, see, what happened was about uh, six years ago, five years ago, I was at Toilet Fest, and John Sanford was there, and we were eating breakfast one morning, and he was telling me that he was having trouble with Lucas Davenport, and I was having trouble with Cotton Malone getting motivations. Why do they keep going off on these adventures? Because we kind of ran out of family. We kind of run out of all the reasons that we would send them off to do it. And we both looked at each other and said, well, it's about time that they go off and just get paid. You know, they just, they do it for money. And that's what we did. We, uh, I, I transitioned Cotton, he transitioned Lucas, and Cotton now sort of goes off and does this. But he, but he starts off, it's always supposed to be very simple, and it ends up being a whole lot more. And there's always a little personal uh, motivation there, but it's not the primary motivation for you anymore. It's one of the great things, one of the good problems you get after writing uh, 14 books with the same character is, you know, you run out of motivations, but that's okay. You can come up with something. Well, one of the things I liked about it also was the whole Mussolini and Churchill angle. Yeah, I was going to that too. Yeah, and I was wondering, um, could you talk a bit about that, but also, why did Mussolini not get as vilified as, uh, say, Stalin or Hitler? It's a good question, because I went to his site where he was shot there, in, right off of Lake Como, and there's fresh flowers there. There's fresh flowers put there almost every week. It's quite bizarre. This man's been dead 70 years, and they're still, you know, worshipping him. He was a brutal, vicious murderer, and yet he, he somehow has this romantic... Uh, you know, history associated with you. It was quite strange to see it there. Um, the letters between Churchill and Mussolini are a matter of legend. No one knows that they exist. They're rumored to exist. They're rumored that Mussolini took them with him when he was trying to escape to Switzerland. We do know that Churchill went to Lake Como after the war and vacationed there for a few months, which is an odd place to vacation uh, after a, a war that had devastated that whole region. He stayed at a villa that had a connection to Mussolini, and some say he was there to look for those lost letters. Uh, they intrigued me, so, you know, since no one knows they exist and no one's seen them, it's perfect. So uh, they uh, they formed the, the hook that gets Cotton initially into this adventure. Cool. Yeah, the one thing, when, whenever whenever you pick up a Steve Berry book, is you, you always get entertained with history. And it's almost like... The adventure is almost a little bit secondary. Sometimes I get lost in, like, the history of it. And Malta is one of those places that a lot of people don't know about. I mean, the only movie I remember, and I've said this a hundred times, is the movie Trenchcoat with Margot Kidder and, and Robert Hayes. It was that cute little murder mystery that was on Malta. And so what was your draw, I mean, to, to go ahead and, and bring Malta in besides, uh, you know, like some of the obvious with, with with kind of the the mystery surrounding it, but what, what about Malta? It was so intriguing to you to, to kind of make it as its own kind of setting too, because it's a very cool little island. Oh, it's an amazing place. When I went there the first time, I knew I had to do a novel with it. Then I went back a second time, and it's 12 miles long, six miles wide. It's a little small place. 
it's a living history museum going all the way back to megalithic times. But the, the Knights of Malta reshaped the island and they built the town of Valletta, which is a walled enclosed city. It's absolutely stunning. When you walk around Valletta, it's like you're in the 16th century. Everything about it is just, just cool. I mean, the watchtowers that are all around, everything is just sort of, you know, screams that this is a cool place to set a, a thriller. There's not that many thrillers that have been set in Malta, to be honest with you. There's just a, just a few. There's a little bit has a, a scene here and there, but I'm talking about where Malta has, uh, is, is, as you said, almost a character in the story, and that's what yeah. it becomes in this novel for me. It's a character in the story. The Co-Cathedral in Valletta is the most beautiful church in the world, bar none. Uh, it's absolutely overpoweringly stunning when you go in there, and the floor is, is incredible. These 400 marble tombs in the floor, and they are they are part of the treasure hunt that Cotton gets caught up in. And so you, the reader's going to get a full look and a full run around Malta. Hopefully, get you intrigued and go and hang out. It's a it's a heck of a place to take a vacation. Uh, you certainly gave Malta. I, I definitely want to go there now. That is for sure. Um, what, what surprised you the most when you were researching this book? Well, there, there was a, several things. I mean, the getting deep into the Maltese history was very interesting. I mean, there was a lot of it I did not know, so I had to learn a lot of it. That was very interesting stuff. The, uh, the full extent of what England tried to do to keep Italy out of the war was interesting. They actually were going to offer the island of Malta uh, in, in exchange, but it just didn't work out, and the, the war cabinet didn't like the idea, and it didn't work, it wasn't going to work anyway, but they were considering bartering that island away. That was very interesting, considering that during the war, uh, it was laid to siege, and more bombs were dropped on Malta than on London, so they took a lot of hit in Malta and did not vote. The siege did not... Uh, did not take, so they were able to, to hold the island. That that was surprising uh, to me as well. To, uh, I didn't I didn't realize the, the full extent of that. So it was these were interesting things. The places were interesting. Lake Como is one of my favorite places in the world. I've never been there. We went there. We retraced Mussolini's route to try to get out of Italy, which was fascinating. And as I said, I was very surprised that the fresh flowers at his execution site. Which are which are kept there all the time. So it's those were those were things that they did kind of. Every book has that something that kind of catches me a little. Like wow, I didn't know that. Uh, so I'm hoping the reader when they read it are going to go like wow. There's there's some more stuff in there, particularly the so what of the novel that deals with the Council of Nicaea. That's that's very surprising. Yeah, Mussolini always kind of reminded me a little of like a lemon. Like, why is he still being like praised so much? And I, 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 I kind of, I never really understood that. I guess either, like you said, he's been dead for what seventy years, and and still to this day, he's still got that. Uh, those people who still bring flowers to his grave. I mean, during a time when they kind of plunged him into, you know, darkness there for a second. So that's always it's always a little strange how people react to things like that. But when you have to kind of write emotions like that, because it's something that is different from your normal thought process, explain a little bit how you kind of have to do that in your own, in your writing style and kind of how you do it to have to get out of your normality and your thinking and do it in another way. Well, I do it the opposite is the way I do it. I have a character who's experiencing those things. 
test Mussolini, and that's mm-hmm. exactly what happens. Uh, the, at Mussolini's grave site, which is located in uh, northern Italy, uh, well, north-central north Italy, uh, they still, once a year, come there and parade around the town in celebration of him, which is a little weird. Uh, and so there's a, there's a character in the novel that really detests that. And so I'm able to tell the reader that while that character is basically, you know, revolted at that whole, that whole concept of it. So I do it from the other way around, the, the opposite way, where there's some conflict involved, which makes it a little more interesting for the reader to learn. Cool. I'm trying to figure out how to ask this without giving something away. Uh, so let's, let's try this. Um, no, so no spoilers, Steve. I'm trying. I won't, Does, I won't give any. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you screw it up. No, no, I you'll see when I ask this question. Does Malone go too far this time? job to do and he you know he's got to get it done and he pushes it as far as he can push it that's his job to you know is to make that happen so no I don't I don't think he goes too far I try not to let him go too far <laughs> you know I don't do that uh, you know it's also a story about Luke Daniels and, and Luke is, is a little more mature and becoming more seasoned in what he's doing uh, but no I don't think Cotton goes too far. I mean, he, he could have stopped at any point, you know. He could have said, I'm done, I'm going home. And he could have. But right. he chooses not to. He chooses to go on forward, uh, mainly to help Stephanie out. But also he becomes a little intrigued by the whole thing, you know, of like, what's happening here? This is, this is a little, little interesting. And, and he gets a little intrigued he doesn't quite realize the danger he's in until he's really well into it. Uh, but I, I see what you're saying. He could have stopped at some point. But now he, he decides to go forward. And, and I think it makes sense why he decides to go forward. Okay. I, I would agree with you, but I just wanted to throw that out there. Okay. So... Like you said, the, the last five Cotton Malone books, he was set in the United States, and now you know now he's pulled out, and, and now he's he's outside the United States. So when you decided to kind of make that change and have, and do that, how you as an author did you want to make any other conscious decisions outside of you know? I'm trying to, how am I going to try to word this? So were you trying to make any other conscious decisions as an author to say, you know what, I'm going to change a little bit? from what I had done and I'm going to go and I'm, and I'm doing something new and different and I'm going to do it into this book. Were you, were you thinking of that in any way before you sat down to do this one? Well, every novel I do has at least one thing in it that I've never done before. There's always something new and different and that, you know, that it kind of makes it interesting for me. The last book was in first person. I've never done that before. Right. That was something new and different for me. I try to do something new and different uh, you know, when I'm in, in each one of these books, and, uh, and this one has something interesting in it, but I can't tell you what it is because it'll give away a major thing. But there is a, 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 a surprise um, that comes into the novel, and I know it works because Elizabeth, who reads my book for the first time, 
she's about the toughest editor in the world. I actually caught her off guard. Oh. It, it caught her. She didn't see it coming. She didn't see that coming. And so making that happen was my new thing that I tried to do in this book. And it was it was fun. And there's a surprise that catches it. There's other things this book. This is this is a, a, a European book. It's a European so what. It's a European ooh factor. Everything about it is European. Yeah. So it's very much back to the my first eight or nine novels that I did. Uh, you know, back and Cotton will stay overseas now for a number of years. Uh, okay. So I, I did my American books. They were fun. They were great. Now I'm going to put him back over there. You know, where he's going. Next book's going to take him to Poland. So he's going to. Oh. Yeah, there's going to be overseas adventures for the next few years with, with Cotton, back the way they way I used to do them. And so that's a conscious effort to move back to that. There's religion in this book. I did yeah. I did three religion books, and I said it's done to death, but this is something that no one's ever touched before. The actual angle that I'm dealing with, I, I've never seen it in any other thrillers this particular angle. And as I said, this is not a book about destroying the Catholic Church. Quite the contrary. So um, it's, these are things that I consciously made a move. The Vatican is always interesting. A conclave is also always interesting. That big giant white cross on the cover is always interesting. So these are all things that I consciously made decisions on to send a signal back to the readers that, hey, we're going back overseas now. It's kind of like subliminal messaging. Yeah, sometimes it's yeah. right in your face. You know, I just yeah. it sometimes, but then you're not really thinking about it. And you're like, oh, wait a second. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so real quick, did you enjoy doing that, the last book in first person? Yeah. Or, is you, or are you kind of just like, I did it? No, no, I loved it. I, you did? Okay. I mean, it was a challenge. It was very difficult for me to do. I'd like to try it again one day, but again, yeah. this book is back to multiple points of view the way I used to do it, with, right. the way I always did it, with uh, four points of view, and going back to something that makes the readers, you know, the readers, it was different for the readers, I mean, they, you know, they never experienced it, but that particular story worked well to be in first person, and it went, went well with this first person, so maybe yeah. I'll try it again one day. Um, Listeners to our show always know I ask this question about people who write series, so I've got to ask you, Steve. Um, series versus standalones. Uh, essentially, um, you've done a couple standalones, but primarily you're doing the series now. Why do you why do you prefer one over the other? And then also, as a follow up, do you have any plans to do a spinoff with Luke Daniels as your uh, primary guy? It would be fun to do a spinoff with Luke. It would be great. The problem is I can't write two books a year, so there's no way in the world. So I'm, I, 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 with, with yeah, yours are too intense to do two. Well, there's too much in there. Yeah. yeah it's impossible. It takes me 18 months to put one of these together from start to finish. So uh, to write two a year would, would be to, to go into the co-writing field, which kind of run its course to some degree now, and particularly in the thriller business. You don't – it's not it, – it's just not working anymore. Only the, the guys who established it, like Kussler and others, a long time ago, it's just it's sort of Survive, run its course. Yeah. It sort of run its course. Right. You could do it, but you cannot do it in lieu of Cotton Malone. You still have to have Cotton Malone uh, out there. You cannot do it. In, you could do it in addition to, maybe, but not in lieu of. And a series comes with built-in marketing, built-in everything where readers are anticipating. They like to visit these characters that like to be part of it, it, it does have its advantages. And, and when we 
they did with the Tinsley Legacy. That was the whole idea. We didn't know we'd get to do it for 14 books, but it has turned out that way. You know, we just we hoped to do it for one or two, and it did. The, the trick to writing a series, I've said it many times, is every book in the series has to be the same but different. Everyone has to be the same but different. That's a tall order. Uh, mine are the same in that it's action, history, secrets, conspiracies. It's Cotton Malone, it's Stephanie Nell, it's Cassiopeia. They're different in that there's a different antagonist in every book with different motivations, a different historical aspect, a different uh, setting, a different places, all of that. So I try to adhere to that same but different formula. And my books do not have to be read in order. You do not have to read right. them in a sequence at all. And I do that on purpose so you can skip around and read the ones that, that interest you because each one does deal with a completely different aspect of history and no two are alike. True. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, um, that's definitely one of the things that I was going to I was going to kind of ask with. I thought Jeff was going to go with the standalone, but is there another genre outside of what you just mentioned that you might tackle in the future? Maybe like a like a straight mystery or anything like that. I mean, do you have like do you have ideas that are outside of it that you're like, you know what? Maybe I'm going to try to tackle this one day. I'd love to try to do some stuff. I have a sci-fi angle to it. That I, Ooh. I wrote 10,000 words of it and I stopped because I just, I can't write two books at once. I've discovered yeah. I just can't do it. It just, it's going to do it. I, if I had 90 days, I could write the book in 90 days. It's one of those, it's a, it's a cool little story and I'd love to do it, but, you know, maybe one day I'll get to finish it. I'd like to do a pure suspense book. Uh, I actually have one that I wrote years ago that just needs to be reworked a little bit. It's a great story. It just needs to be fixed a little bit, and um, these kind of things. I mean, I'd, I'd love to go out and to do something like that. It'd be, it'd be a lot of fun. A, a pure historical fiction novel would be fun to write one day. But, mm-hmm. again, uh, my bread and butter is Cotton Malone and, and, and international suspense thrillers. and uh, right. They're very popular right now, and I'm doing great, and so it would be foolish to stop doing that. I would love to read a nonfiction book from you someday, too, because I just love how you write history and make it come alive. I could do that. So I could do that as well. Uh, if, you know, with the amount of research, I could put one That would take some time. It just takes time, yeah. and, and, you know, right. and, and they don't pay as well. They don't? <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> it would be more of a labor of love. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, you know, they, they these thrillers pay very well, so... Uh, That's true. You know, it is a business, and it is my living, and... But, you know, I'd, I'd love to try some of that other stuff one day, and maybe I'll get a chance to do uh, a, few of those, a few of those one day. Uh, MJ Rose and I are doing some novellas together with Cassiopeia, mm. and, uh, and they're kind of fun. The first one was the Museum of Mysteries that came out last summer, and it had a little bit of woo-woo in it because we were looking for going after a different audience. So my readers weren't necessarily enthralled by it. They liked it, but... They weren't, but the idea was to pick up some new reasons, and it did. It did pick us. It sold very well, and we have a new one coming out this summer called The Lake of Learning, which is very much like my regular stuff, no more woo-woo, straight thriller, Cassiopeia is the star, and it's a really cool story, uh, and uh, so I, I get to do some of those, but, you know, luckily I have her that can, that can put together that first draft and, and make it a little easier for me. I love that. Well, I love MJ's writing too. Yeah. 
Yeah. I love the woo-woo factor. Yeah, we do it through, we <laughs> do cool. them through my, my Elizabeth's company, A Thousand and One Dark Nights. So they're, they're oh, yeah. published through there. Oh, that's and, right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they're that company. So she does, yeah, she actually does them. And, uh, and they, they're fun and we may do some more of them, but I'm hoping this year my readers are going to really like The Lake of Learning. It's basically a straight up thriller, action history secrets conspiracy starring Cassiopeia. So I think they're going to really like that. Cool. Uh, that's going to be awesome. Um, has there ever been a piece of history you've uncovered that you're like, I kind of want to write about this, but it doesn't fit into Cotton Malone's wheelhouse? Yeah, I get those all the time. I mean, yeah, absolutely, I have those, but I just keep them in the idea box just in case. You know, they're there. I can ever. There's a lot of things I come across that are very interesting, particularly things that are more like uh, action adventure or more military angle to them, something like that. It's really not Cotton's kind of thing. Uh, so, you know, I have to, I just sort of tuck them away and maybe I can use bits and pieces of them, but, you know, there's more, I, I get a lot more ideas I can't use than ones I can't use. Interesting. Hmm. Interesting. Now, the one thing, of course, that you're, you're well known for is, you know, as history matters and, and what you do kind of outside of everything, can you kind of go into how, how that's been going and what kind of events and things you might have coming up in 2019? Well, we have, uh, we're looking at a couple for later this year. We do only, we only do about two or three a year now. We used to do about six or eight. But we do two or three a year, and uh, we're actually getting ready to do one here very shortly in the, in the next couple of days, dealing with the Amelia Island Book Festival that we'll be doing something with that. So we're helping raise some money up there for literacy. Um, we, uh, we've done about 75, 80 projects around the country. We've raised about $1.3 to $1.4 million. Oh, we've done very well with it, and uh, I just don't go around as much. I've kind of cut back on traveling. I don't travel near as much as I used to. We used to be gone two, three times a month, and now I do maybe four or five times a year. So uh, I've, cut, I've cut way back down on, on traveling all over the place. But we still do them, and we still look for really good projects, interesting stuff. And uh, folks can go to my website, steveberry.org, click on History Matters, send us an email. We'll see if uh, we can work it out. We, we're very selective because I pay to go to those. I pay, you know, no one pays me to come. I pay my own way. So I want to make sure that when I invest in going, that it's going to be a productive use of time, and we can raise some money and, and make a difference. Yeah. And in today's day and age, man, we got to preserve history all that we can. I mean, it seems like it's dying out with people destroying artifacts and things of those natures around the world. It's, it's bad. There's so much. There's so much that needs preservation, particularly in small communities around around the country that don't have any money for it. It's it's, it's a lot, and yeah. they, it's the last thing people worry about. But luckily, there's people that have an interest in that, and we're able to come. As I said, we. We pumped about 1.3 to 1.4 million dollars in, in these various projects to help keep them alive. That's so wonderful. Um, I have a question for you about your titles. Sure. And uh, just wondering why they all fall within the same three-word structure. It was a conscious decision to do that. I, I'm a Ludlum title guy. I love his titles. He's sort of the, the, the father of those particular titles. Mine have a formula. The second word of the title is the ooh factor. If I say Templars, people would say ooh. If I say, you know, Paris or Charlemagne, Malta, uh, you know, you, you just, 
you can look at always the, the second word is an ooh factor word. The third word is the so what word, the Malta exchange. There's a reason why that word exchange is in there. You know, the Paris vendetta, you know, the Venetian betrayal. There's always that third word has, is, is, is the so what of the novel. So there's actually a method to our madness in putting those titles together. Some of them are just noun titles, like the Amber Room. That's a noun title of a thing. It's the only thing you could have called that book. So, you know, like the Patriot Threat. That's a, there's a, there's your ooh factor with Patriot and your so what, uh, with threat. So you, you look at all that. You know, the, the Lincoln Myth was a, was a noun title. Uh, we try to have action titles as opposed to noun titles if we can. There's a lot of thought that goes into a title. And this is one thing I see with new writers. They do not put thought into their titles. They, they think they want to get cute with it and they want to get clever with it. You cannot get cute. You cannot get clever. Your title is critical. It's, yeah. You know, it's, it's the cover, the title, and the cover copy that sells the book. Now, those are three things, and, and, and you can't imagine how writers like to be clever with their titles, and cleverness will get you nothing, and particularly if you're a new writer. I learned this lesson early on with the Romanoff prophecy. I had called that book The Fourth Rome, which is a great title when you read the novel, because you'll know what I'm talking about, but it's a book about Russia, for God's sakes. Right. It's not a book about Italy. You know, and Mark Tabani looked at me and said, we're not going to call that book that. We're going to call it the Roman off something. Pick a word. <laughs> you know, and, and he taught me that lesson uh, of how important titles are. So I, I spend a lot of time on a title. A lot of thought process goes into it. It's, I change it constantly. I try to have the book title before I start it. I like to name my children once they're alive. You know, yeah. I want to call them he or she. I want to... I want to give them a name, but I have changed the name of a title several times. The Malt Exchange changed several times, and, and finally, I found the right word. Okay. Well, see, and, and it does fit this book. It does. Yeah. It Thank it you. Perfect. Perfect. Fits it perfectly. And, yeah. and the thing that's great, because you know, of, of you, the thing that's great about you also as an author is, is that it's kind of like a great song. It's all the attention to detail that you're telling us right now just about the title, and that's what your books are. It's that attention to detail. It's in a song when you hear that little drum fill that other bands might not get in there, but it's just those, it's that fullness, and, and that's the thing that, that is a Steve Berry book that you know that that attention to detail, and I didn't even know about the cover stuff and the name. That's even more incredible that, that that's what you're going to get, and that's the comforting blanket when you, when you pick up one of your books. I work very hard at the, at the title, the the cover of the book I designed, uh, I, I tend to design most of my covers. There's a few I've not, uh, but most of them I have designed. This one particularly I designed. I wrote this book knowing the moment I wrote the first word that I was going to have a big white cross on my cover. Uh, there, was no, there was no question about that. And um, so I'm very careful about that, and I write the cover copy that goes on the book, too. So I'm, I, I've taught myself how to do that over the years. And writers today have got to learn that skill. You have to learn the, all those skills, and there's a there's an art form to it. And something we ought to teach at Thrillfest really is about writing cover copy. We don't we don't really talk about it very much. That's true. That'd be a nice craft Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So 
So, Steve, so we want to thank you so much for coming on. Now, your website is steveberry.org, and that's the best place for everyone to find anything else about you. Um, are you Twitter, Facebook? Do you, are you kind of active on those sites, too? Just Facebook. We have a Facebook fan page that you can go to and find out all about me, and, and the steveberry.org has everything about the books. Right. Great website. I tell other authors, and I'm like, see Steve Berry's website, and... See, that's like the right way that you want to have an author website. One of our new authors just did it. I said, I looked at his website. I go, you need to go to Steve's website and look at that. I studied a lot of other authors' websites and, and to put that together to keep it simple and as direct as, as I possibly can. But AuthorBots does it for me, and they do, a, they do a great job. Great job. Well, Steve, again, we want to thank you so much for joining us. And the Malta Exchange is out March the 5th, so make sure you mark that down your calendars. Of course, pre-orders are available right now so you can get the book um, right now as you're listening. But, again, Steve, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. We'll see you in July at Thrillist Fest. See you there.